0: Welcome back to the podcast. In this episode, we've got some major coaching changes coming in the NBA. Going to get my thoughts on Luka Doncic's performance in the first round of the playoffs, even though his team got eliminated. His playoff performance is probably one of the all-time best I've seen in a while. Also, going to talk a little bit about LeBron, how his first round loss to the Suns would impact his legacy. Also, big trade in the NBA, NFL. Julio Jones finally has a new team. I'll get my thoughts about his recent trade to the Tennessee Titans and does it help them make a true contender. I'm also going to talk about the Nets' absolute dominance of the Milwaukee Bucks. Can the Bucks turn this around? I'll tell you why I think they can. Also, Tide series going back to the going back to the A. Trey Young and the Hawks shocked the 76ers in game one, but the Sixers respond. I'll give you my thoughts about that. Also, we got Donovan Mitchell. Masterful performance in game one of their series against the Clippers. And the Suns take a 2-0, 2-0 lead in their series over the MVP, Nikola Jokic. Also, I'm gonna give you my MLB Team of the Week and Trash Care of the Week. Here we go. All right, so we saw a couple days ago. Y'all probably saw this already by far, but obviously in round one between the Mavericks and the Clippers, Luka had probably one of the best performances that many people have seen in a long time in the NBA playoffs. I mean, in this series, he averaged around – 35, almost 36 points a game, 10 assists a game, and 7, almost 8 rebounds a game. That's absolutely insane. Those are like Michael Jordan type playoff numbers. In no way, shape, or form is Luka Jordan by any shape or form. But the way he performed in these playoffs has been before he got eliminated, obviously in game 7, was absolutely massive. I mean, in Game 7, he dropped 46. Nobody else on that team had 20. He had 46, and no one else scored 20. And I believe that was the difference, really, in that Game 7. A more experienced ball club than the Mavericks. What's the difference in this game? Kawhi Leonard, who had who also had one massive performance in this series as well. Don't get me wrong. He played some great basketball in this series. It kind of reminded me of the 2019 Kawhi on the Raptors. He was just that good in that series. I don't think anyone could have guarded him on that Mavericks team whatsoever. But Luka and Kawhi were just trading blows back and forth the whole series. But at the end of the day, I think the more... The more experienced team, the older team, and the more talented team ended up winning this series. I mean, Kawhi in game seven, he had 23. Paul George, I believe he had 20. Marcus Morris, he had 20 points in this game. The next high scorer for the Mavericks after Lucas 46, 18. 18 points. That was the second-highest score for the Mavericks in Game 7. Mm. Chris Porzingas was nowhere to be found in that game. He had 16 points in that game. Dorian Finney-Smith had 18. Oban had 14, and Tim Hardaway had 11. Those were the... Only other players in double digits in that series, in that game seven. Like I said, none of them got over 20, and Luca had 46. Meanwhile, you got the Clippers here Kawhi with 28, Marcus Morris with 23, Paul George at 22, and then one player stepped up for the Clippers Luke Connard, who hasn't played that entire series, he had 11, Terrence Mann at 13. Richard Jackson had 15 and a few big shots here and there. Batum, great play out the, in the starting lineup this series. Made effort plays, helped get the Clippers extra possessions, and so forth. So, yeah, to pretty much wrap up this series. At the end, I believe the more talented team I did end up winning this series, I had a feeling this series would go the distance. And in, it definitely did not disappoint. At the end of the day, Luca needs a little more help in that Mavericks team, and the Mavericks this offseason, they have a little bit of money should go out and try to acquire another player that can help Luca on the offensive end. Because normally, when a team star drop forty six points, the team usually wins a ball game. But in the in this case, no. I understand, too, because I believe Luka was the best player in this series, by far. Well, not by far. It was Luka, Kawhi, and then there was just everybody else in this series. Great series. Luka put on one hell of a show. Kawhi put on a hell of a show. At the end of the day, the Clippers moved on and played the Utah Jazz. And I'll talk about the game one of that series in just a moment. Moving on to the other L.A. team, the Los Angeles Lakers. So, the Lakers were eliminated by the Phoenix Suns in the first round. And for the first time in his career, LeBron James has been eliminated in the first round. With that in mind, there are a lot of critics of LeBron now coming out here saying that this was probably one of the biggest blows of his legacy. And to me, I don't think it really is. I don't think it really matters. LeBron James losing in the first round for the first time in his career, probably near the twilight of his career, in my opinion, I don't think it matters. You look at LeBron's postgame presser after... The elimination game, and he's cracking jokes. He's cracking jokes. He's talking about how he's going to be focusing on Space Jam (laughs) 2. Coming up in July. So, yeah. I don't think this really affects LeBron's legacy. Honestly, don't think at this point LeBron has anything left to prove. He's pretty much top 10 in most categories. Top five in some, so. Yeah, the finals record isn't the greatest in the world, but he's won some championships. I don't think there's anything left to prove for LeBron. So I don't think this really hurts his legacy. The Lakers probably dealt with the shortest like definitely deal with the shortest offseason. Not a lot of rest. So now 15, and for the Lakers, as well as some other teams like Miami, the Miami Heat, who also dealt with a fair share of injuries, they get a chance to get fully recovered, finally get some rest, some real rest, after a grueling playoff last June, 2020, and just get a chance to, I guess, enjoy the show. Because I know a lot of people are start, starting to say that these playoffs look a little boring in the NBA, but... What can you do? And for... I guess the LeBron fans out there... Don't get too upset over this. Don't get too upset over this. And don't act all defensive about it, either. Everybody kind of figured going into this series, you guys didn't have AD. Y'all really didn't have much of a chance. But shout out for... Anthony Davis, by the way, trying to go out there in Game Six on that groin. I don't know what they were thinking. Actually, have him go out there. He was with a groin injury. You can't just expect him to be like, "Oh, yeah, I'm good. Let's go. Let's go play. I'm going to drop forty on them on a bad groin." That's not exactly how that works. But shout out to him. Get enjoy your recovery time on vacation. But. It is what it is. Suns move on to the second round. They're currently playing the uh, Denver Nuggets, which I'll talk about their the start to that series here in a little w- little bit. Because they're off to a scorching start. Chris Paul has been outstanding for this t- team. And you don't think the Chris Paul effect is real? <laughs> You'll probably want to change your mind. Probably after this series. But yeah, the bronze out. CP3 moved on. That's all I'll say. Julio well, Jones has finally been traded. He's been dealt to the Tennessee Titans, in case you haven't heard, for a second round pick and a fourth round pick. Now, looking at the price tag, you think that's not that bad. Why didn't my team get him? Honestly, at the end of the day, it looks like the Falcons were looking for a team that would take on the entirety of Julio Jones's contract, which is pretty pricey after this year. But, and it seems that the only team that would be will, that was willing to do that would be the Tennessee Titans. Now, the Tennessee Titans offense is looking pretty good. They have a pretty good old line. They've got two. Pro Bowl wide receivers now in Julio Jones and the young stud, A.J. Brown. They also have a decent quarterback in Ryan Tannehill. would will this, will this be enough to beat teams like that are going to be considered contenders in the AFC, like the Chiefs, obviously, the Buffalo Bills, and I guess the Cleveland Browns, since people like to throw their name out there as well? Is this team a contender? They could be, if that defense improves. That defense, in my opinion, is not that great. I feel like the pass rush is still not great. The secondary is iffy for me. Hopefully, Caleb Farley is healthy, so he can perform well. Let's go to see. I think the only weakness that this team has is that defense. But if that defense can just be somewhat decent and that defense can get some stops in key situations because I can see this Titans team being in a lot of shootouts going down against some of these big teams like the Chiefs, the Browns, the Colts in their own division, the Bills. These Those teams, they're going to be in some shootouts with those teams. The question is, Can the Titans defense step up and make some plays? Can they get the ball back? Can they stop opposing offenses? That's the only question mark I have on this Tennessee Titans ball club. If they can do that, then yeah, they're contenders. Without a doubt. I think this offense is gonna be just it's gonna be probably what, a top five unit in this in this game? This upcoming season? I mean. Derek Henry had a monster year last year, and then you throw in Julio Jones in that receiving core, which was a big need for that Titans team, and put him alongside AJ Brown. That's scary, especially in a play-action game. let going to be interesting to see how that Tennessee Titans team performs. Like, well, in the end, it all boils down to the defense. They have a Super Bowl caliber offense now. Can the defense keep up with that offense? If it can, you can call them contenders. If not, I can see them getting to the divisional round at least. That's it. Alright, shifting back to the NBA for a little bit. So obviously, there have been some coaching moves that happened recently in the NBA. You got Indiana coach being fired. Honestly to me, that was really no surprise. It was rumored for a long time that no one in the locker room really liked him in the on the team. So and after a very ter- pretty poor performance by the Indiana Pacers, they decided to move on from Nate Gorgon. I think to pronounce that last name. But, I think that's the right move they made. Personally, I thought they should have stuck with Nate McMillan, who has done a fantastic job down in Atlanta, getting the Hawks to the second round of the playoffs after getting the promotion the uh, midway through the season. It's going to be interesting to see what the Pacers do with their coaching situation because they have a lot of pieces on this Indiana Pacers team to make another playoff push if they had the right coach. They got, got they got some bonus. Brogdon, T.J. Warren, when he's healthy, he's a solid player. Uh, Miles Turner, honestly, they got McConnell on that team, who was a pretty sneaky good defender. So it's interesting to see what they're going to do in their coach situation. Steve Clifford is now out as coach of the Magic. This one kind of threw me for a me off guard because I wasn't expecting this one to be made. Steve Clifford is a, pretty, is a very solid coach in the NBA. Led a very underwhelming Magic team to the playoffs a couple times. And now it looks like the Magic and Steve Clifford just didn't have the same vision for this team. So they agreed to part ways. So the Magic can finally start that rebuild that they wanted to so long. I expect Steve Clifford to find another job somewhere. Probably, Maybe not as a head coach, but it'll be interesting to see if, we, if or when he gets into the job. There's obviously a few teams out there that are now looking for a coach. Maybe Boston. Maybe Indiana. Probably not Portland, because now, since now they're looking for a coach. And speaking of Portland, Terry Stotts out as Blazer coach. Now, this is the most significant one for me. Because the Portland Trail Blazers have made the playoffs almost every year under Terry Stotts. Since he's been there, and, and I believe this move was needed for the Portland Trailblazers. I like Terry Stotts; he's a solid basketball coach. By the end of the day, I believe that his style of coaching in Portland got stale. They got bounced in the first round multiple times in the past couple years. And I honestly believe the height of this ball club was when they got to the Western Conference Finals and they lost. And honestly, I think for Terry Stotts that Damian Lillard has been saving his job for the longest time. Now there's rumors that Damian Lillard is going to start thinking about his future in Portland. So the coaching search for Portland now is more important than probably any other ball club looking for a new coach. That includes Boston, Indiana, Orlando. It doesn't matter. This is going to be the most watched coaching search probably this offseason because they need to get the right coach in here. You have too much talent on the Portland Trailblazers to be wasted. It's going to be interesting to see what they do in Portland because Damian Lillard, for as loyal as he has been to Portland, how much longer before he decides that he's been loyal long enough and decides to move on? And there's still a lot of questions to be answered in Portland. What did they do with CJ McCollum? What did they do with Nurkic? Do they try to reload the bench? It's so interesting to see what they're going to do with that Portland team. Portland's going to be an interesting offseason season team to watch because there's so many question marks around that team. Who's going to be their coach? What are they going to do with some of these players on the, from the roster? Do they move on from a guy like CJ McCollum? Personally, I think they should. I think we've seen the best of that CJ and Lillard backcourt. So I think it's time to try something new in Portland. I really do. I mean, outside of Danny Lillard, do you really think anybody else has really stepped up for Portland in the past couple of years? No. No. CJ's had his moments, but hasn't been consistent enough. It's going to be interesting to see what Portland does in this upcoming offseason. Most important coaching search in Trailblazers history. Round two of the NBA playoffs have been underway for a little bit now. First series I'm going to talk about real quick is the Atlanta Hawks and Philadelphia 76ers series. In game one of that series, the Atlanta Hawks stunned the Philadelphia 76ers at home, taking a 128-124 to victory. In that game, Trey Young, absolutely outstanding in that game, 35 points, 10 assists. John Collins at 21 points. Bogdanovich at 21 points. And the Atlanta Hawks in that first half of that game were absolutely shooting the lights out of the building in that game. And near the end of the game, you saw Philadelphia pick up their intensity and try to get back in that ballgame. But at the end of the day, despite Atlanta's best efforts to cough up the game and pull a typical Atlanta sports moment, Atlanta was able to survive Game 1, winning 128-124. to 124. Joel Embiid in that game, he dropped 39 points and 9 rebounds in that game. He had an outstanding game despite being on a bum knee. Tobias Harris had 20 points. Seth Curry had 21. Ben Simmons had a double-double with 17 points, 10 assists, so he did his thing. Now in Game 2, the script was absolutely flipped. It was Philadelphia winning convincingly. 118 to 102. Trey Young had not had a slightly less impressive game than he did in Game One, and despite 20 points from Kevin Herder and Danilo Gallinari getting 21, it was just wasn't enough to beat this Philadelphia New 76ers team. Joel Embiid in this game had a convincing, <laughs> had a dominating performance. He had 40 points, 13 assists. Tobias Harris dropped 22. Seth Curry dropped number 21 another 21 points and despite Ben Simmons only scoring four points, Ben Simmons took on the challenge of taking on Trey Young and he did a pretty decent job. That's pretty much the key to stopping the Atlanta Hawks offense. if you can somewhat contain Trey Young, you have a chance to beat this Atlanta Hawks team and then in this game, Philadelphia did just that. Now headed to Game 3 back in Atlanta. Philadelphia has the job of trying to take back home court. As now, they have Atlanta with home court advantage. After splitting the two games in Philadelphia. That game tomorrow at 6.30. It's going to be an interesting matchup. It's going to be interesting how how long Joel Embiid can continue to dominate the way he has been throughout the series. And (laughs) hopefully that knee continues to hold up because this Philadelphia team is a lot different team without Embiid, as we all know. And him playing with a meniscus injury is no joke. It's no joke. And hopefully it just doesn't backfire on this Philadelphia team. Onto what probably would have been the series that we all thought was going to be the series of the playoffs. Brooklyn taking on Milwaukee. And through the first two games of this series, it is easy to say that this series so far has been a major disappointment. Especially from a Milwaukee fan's perspective. So far, Brooklyn has absolutely dominated throughout these first two games of this series. In game one, we thought the big three for Brooklyn would be all together again. But James Harden played all but one minute before re-aggravating that hamstring injury. In the end, Despite a great performance from Giannis with 34 points and 11 rebounds, and you got guys that had guys like Brooke Lopez chipping with 19, Drew Holiday with 17, and Middleton, who didn't really have that great of a game, he put in 13. It wasn't enough as the Nets, led by Durant with a double double, 29 10. Kyrie, solid 25. Joe Harris, who had a pretty solid game as well, with 19 points. And Blake Griffin, who apparently found the fountain of youth, apparently because he's looking like a younger Blake Griffin. And <laughs> so far throughout the series, he has he had 18 points and 14 rebounds in this one. And Mike James, who uh, was apparently playing overseas last year, had a nice solid game as well. The Nets took Game One, one fifteen to one o seven. And you could consider this a bad offensive game for the Brooklyn Nets. Usually, when someone drops one fifteen, and it's called a, (laughs) it's called a great game. But no, not for Brooklyn. It was an offensive struggle for them. Now, in Game Two, it really wasn't much of a game. One of the biggest question marks I think people had for the Brooklyn Nets was their defense. I say in this game, Brooklyn had some pretty good defense. They held Milwaukee under 90 points in this game. Giannis only had 18 points. Drew Holiday not a great game. He had 13. Middleton had 17. So nobody on the box scored over 20 in this game. That's pretty solid defense if you ask me. For the Nets, they got a lot of scoring from everybody. Kevin Durant had 32, Joe Harris had 13, Blake Griffin, though, only have 7 points and 8 rebounds. himself a pretty solid game. Kyrie had 22, Bruce Brown had a solid 13, Mike James had a solid 13, got some hidden shots. I mean, it was a great overall defensive clinic for the Brooklyn Nets, as well as an offensive clinic for the Brooklyn Nets. So much that we pretty much saw their, I guess, their G League squads just go at it for most of the fourth quarter. And for the play, and that's not actually, that's not really a good sign for a playoff game when we're watching G Leaguers play in a playoff game. So, game three is in Milwaukee. That is going to be a game that is on tonight at 6.30. And if I tell you, this will be the biggest game of the season for Milwaukee. They need this one. You cannot afford to go down 0-3 to a very talented Brooklyn Nets team. If you go down 0-3, you might as well just pack your bags and start making your vacation plans. Because with a team as good as Brooklyn if you, and you go down 0-3, you're gonna need a, either need a, you're gonna need an absolute miracle to pull out a dub in this series. So for Milwaukee, big game. You're gonna need bigger performances from Giannis. You're gonna need Milton to start hitting some shots. Drew Holiday needs to start hitting shots. And some of the and some of the great shooting you saw in the Miami series needs to start coming back. It needs to come back for Milwaukee. I was actually joking around with a couple of buddies of mine talking about, did they really just save all their shooting for the Miami series and just left it there? And it's starting to look like it. They need to find the offense that they had during the Miami series. And they read it in the most desperate way possible against Brooklyn tonight. Because if they don't win tonight, I think this series is over. A lot of people think it's over now. If they lose tonight, you might as well take it to the bank that this series is over. No if, if and, or buts about it. If Milwaukee loses tonight, this series is basically over. Alright, Suns and Nuggets. So... Right now, the Suns have a commanding 2-0 lead in this series after taking care of business at home, defending home court, and absolutely dominating in the second half of these games to take a 2-0 lead. So far, it looks like the Suns just look like the better team than the Denver Nuggets, despite having the MVP of the league in Nikola Jokic. Congratulations to him, by the way. Well-deserved. So, just a quick little recap of the first two games of this series. In Game 1, it looked like it was going to be a tightly contested game. The Denver Nuggets had a one-point lead going into the half. And then the Phoenix Suns just absolutely turned it on in the second half. Absolutely dominated the second half. And despite... Nikola Jokic's twenty-two points and nine rebounds leading the way in scoring. And for the Denver Nuggets, the Suns had a lot of very good contributors for in this game. Mikhail Bridges he had twenty-three points. Jay Crowder he had fourteen. DeAndre Ayton had twenty points and ten rebounds, a double double. And I believe Reggie Miller said who was on the call in that game said that. With Aiden and Jokic basically matching stats, it's a wash. And he's absolutely right. If you have DeAndre Aiden going toe-to-toe with Nikola Jokic, that's a bad sign for the Denver Nuggets because if your best player is getting matched toe-to-toe with probably their third best player on the Phoenix Suns, it's going to spell disaster for you. Because... Devin Booker and Chris Paul have been playing very well so far in this postseason. In game one, they both dropped 21 points. And Chris Paul had 11 assists to give him a double double. So, yeah. In game one, a lot of contribution on this Phoenix Suns team. Their bench units played solid as well when they needed them to. Guys like Cam Payne hit some shots here and there. Torrey Craig, he hit some shots here and there. In Game 1, everybody just did their job and, co- and contributed every way they can. Now in Game 2, it was a little more the same, except it was just wasn't much of a game. In the first quarter, it was close. It was a four-point game. And then from the rest, from the second quarter on, it just, the Phoenix Suns just ran away with it. It wasn't really that close. Jokic had a double-double in, that in Game 2 with 24 points and 30 assists, but it really wasn't enough at all. Because the next highest score after that only was 11 between Paul Millsap and Michael Porter Jr. They also good news for the Nuggets, though, they got Will Barton back. And that's going to be interesting to see how well he plays this going forward in this series. Because this Nuggets team has dealt with a lot of with a, some big time injuries with Jamal Murray, obviously Will Barton for most of the year. Now they got him back, so it's going to be interesting to see how, as, they, as he comes back, how it will affect how the, the Nuggets play further down this series. Now that they're down 0 2, they're going to need a lot more people to step up. Because Phoenix, like I said, they just look like the better team so far. They're getting a lot more contributions from their role players right now than the Nuggets are. I mean, nobody in game two for the Suns scored more than 20 points. And they still dominated this game. That's just how good the Suns team is led by Monty Williams, who got snubbed for coach of the year. Shout out to Tom Thibodeau, by the way, for winning that award. I still think it should have been Monty, but Thibodeau's a coach. Anyway, back to this game. You just got great contribution overall from this Phoenix Suns squad. Mikkel Bridges had 16, Crowder at 11. DeAndre Ayton had another double-double of 15 and 10. Booker had a double-double with 18 points and 10 rebounds. Chris Paul. Double double 17 points, 15 assists. Karen Johnson, 7 points. Tori Craig, 10 points. Dario Sarch, he had 8. Karen Payne, another 7. Like I, like I said. These guys have players that can contribute in every way possible for this team. Whether it be scoring, getting rebounds, getting playing great defense. Passing the ball, I believe this team could be a finals team the way they're playing right now. If you don't have, if you have guys like Mikel Bridges giving you 16, or Torrey Craig giving you 10 off the bench, Aiden going toe to toe with the league MVP so far this series, things are looking good for the Phoenix Suns right now, and it's gonna be very important for Denver. To make some necessary adjustments, which I think they will in Game 3, which is coming up soon, tomorrow, it's not going to look good for the Nuggets. Because the way the Suns team is playing right now, there aren't going to be a lot of teams left in these playoffs that could probably stop this team with the production they're getting out of everybody on this team. What we, looked, what we saw in Game 2 from the Suns looked like a very complete team. And that's scary to think about. It's not like the Brooklyn Nets who relied on a bunch of uh, three stars to do all the heavy lifting. Everybody on the Suns team can pick up the slack. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Nuggets adjust for Game 3. That, t- that is as tomorrow at 9 o'clock. So, we'll see how that goes. And I think I said the same thing what I said about the Nets-Bucks series, where the Bucks need to come out and win Game 3 or it could be over. We might be in the same situation for the Nuggets. If they don't come out and win Game 3, you could book that series as a wrap. The Suns have played great basketball in these first two games. And if the Nuggets don't make the necessary adjustments required... I don't think they stand much of a chance. They need to win Game 3. That's all I'll say. They need to win Game 3. Alright, so... A very interesting series has begun between the Utah Jazz and the Los Angeles Clippers. Obviously, the Clippers fresh off of Game 7 against the Dallas Mavericks team. Probably a little exhausted going into this game. Still gave a pretty well-rested Utah Jazz team a nice little run for the money. And it came down to the final possession where Rudy Gobert got the big time block to seal the deal for the Utah Jazz in a 112-109 win for the Utah Jazz, and they take a 1-0 lead. So for the Clippers, talk about them real quick. That's a pretty solid performances. Kawhi had 23 points. Not exactly what same kind of numbers he had up in the Mavericks series, but very solid game for him. 23 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists. Paul George, despite having a double-double and tw- with 20 points and ten-, 10 rebounds, still did not feel like a typical Paul George game. I mean, he did all right. He had some shots down the stretch that kept the game close, but it just looked like bubble George was playing a little bit in that game. Despite the 20 points, 10 rebounds, Luke Kennard had a pretty solid game in this game. He had 18 points. Game has kind of been a little bit of a spark that the Clippers have needed for a while coming off that bench. I don't know why he didn't play earlier in that Mavic series, but now that he's playing, he's giving them a little bit of spark that they need off that bench. For the rest of the team, not exactly impressive performances, but they did enough to keep it close. But unfortunately, at the end, It was just not enough as Donovan Mitchell dropped a nice 45 in a masterful performance to help lead the Utah to that 1 0 lead. Now, in this game, it just didn't really feel like a typical great Utah Jazz type performance. I mean, you got guys like Joe Ingles who aren't hitting their shot, wasn't exactly taking a lot of shots like you normally would. Clarkson, despite having 18 points, didn't really seem like himself in this game. He'll probably bounce back in game two. Rudy Gobert, despite the double-double, 10 points, 12 rebounds in the the game-winning block. Didn't really get a lot of touches down on the offensive end, which is something they try to do a little bit more on this team. Bogdanovich, he had a solid game. He had 18.5 rebounds, but for that, that was really it. Derek Ferry's only had two points, six rebounds. He did a pretty solid job defensively, but on the offensive end, he he could have done a little more. Georges Niang, he only had like one shot all game, so that didn't really help. But I'm sure he'll bounce back in game two. But overall, this was a very entertaining game. And in a in the second round, where there hadn't been really a lot of entertaining ball games, this was a fresh a, a fresh a breath of fresh air. Because so what we've seen what's been the basic thing we've seen so far in round two: blowout after blowout after blowout after blowout. This was a fresh, was a breath of fresh air because it gave some people. Something enjoyable to watch so far in the playoffs. And I don't know about you, but I'll sit down. Wa- I sat down and watched all these games <laughs> to the end. But they weren't really enjoyable to watch. For the most part. This game came on the edge of my seat. It was exciting. It was fun. I was thinking, okay, what's What's the play call Quinn Snyder's going to cook up? Or what's Ty Lue going to do? It was very interesting to see this ball game be as close as it was because whew, it, it was getting a little bit stale for a little bit for me. Game 2 is coming up pretty soon. Tomorrow night. It's going to be interesting to see how the Clippers bounce back and respond after falling. My mistake. Game two is tonight at nine o'clock. It's gonna be interesting to see how the Clippers bounce back. What adjustments Ty Lue makes defensively to try to slow down Donovan Mitchell. What type of adjustments that Quint Snyder makes to try to get everybody else a little more involved in the offense to give Donovan Mitchell a little more help. Because let's be honest, despite the win, you could definitely tell that this wasn't exactly the Jazz Jazz's best performance as a team, as a whole, yet they still won. So, it's going to be interesting to see how the Clippers respond. It's going to be interesting what kind of adjustments Quinn Snyder makes, Try to get everybody else involved. Like I said, game two is going to be a very interesting matchup to keep it on to watch tonight. All right, it is now time for my MLB Team of the Week and Trash Can of the Week. Now, for my trash can of the week, I'm going to get that out of the way first. I'm going to give it to the St. Louis Cardinals, who are, from the last 10 games, are 2-8. and eight, And I've started to fall behind a little bit in the NL Central. With the Brewers and Cubs playing great baseball of late. The Cardinals had a little bit of a slip-up. They lost 2 out of 3 to the Dodgers. And then they got swept by the Cincinnati Reds, which is not very good because the Reds are not exactly the greatest baseball team in the world, but getting swept by the Reds in four games is not exactly a great sign, especially now they're nipping on the heels of the Cardinals for third place in the division. And then they lost 10-1 to to the Cleveland Indians on Tuesday, but they won. Yesterday against Cleveland to secure a two-game split in that little mini-series. Now, for my team of the week, I'm going to give it to the San Francisco Giants. The Giants have been playing pretty good baseball. I've definitely underestimated this team. I was kind of surprised at the start, and now I am kind of interested to see if this team is for real. And with the trade deadline slowly coming into picture, will the Giants make any moves? It's gonna be interesting to see if they make any moves. But in the last ten games, they're seven and three. Including a nice little they split two games with the Texas Rangers. They split a four game set. They took three out of four from the Chicago Cubs, who have also been playing great baseball as of late. They split a two-game set with the Angels, and this is going a little farther than 10 games, but they also took three out of four from the Los Angeles Dodgers. That is impressive. That was impressive. It's kind of funny because at the beginning of the year, everybody was talking about this Dodgers-Padres rivalry to be. But everybody forgot that the Giants and Dodgers have had bad blood for a long, long time. And it kind of showed in that series. So, yeah. That will be my MLB Team of the Week and Trash Can of the Week for this week. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of the podcast. Next time I hop on a podcast, probably going to talk about Hopefully, I'm not talking about the end of a couple series. Hopefully, I'm talking about how Milwaukee and Denver have fought back in this series and made it an interesting series to keep an eye on. But the way the Nets and Suns are playing right now, I don't know if it's going to be that way. But hopefully, I get to talk about this series a little more because... These were two series I was really looking forward to be being close to competitive and so far it has been that. Also probably going to bring up some more talk a little bit more NFL. And also going to give another team of the week and trash can of the week for the MLB. And maybe I'll give you my predictions for the NHL semis since those are starting to come into picture now. Just got to wait on the Vegas Golden Knights and the Colorado Avalanche to finish up their series out in the West. So that's going to do it. Y'all have a good rest of your day. I'm out.